Hear people that are Calvinists harp on this. They just keep repeating it, and they repeat it so much you start to think it's a biblical truth. Jesus stands outside the tomb of Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus said, I can't, I'm dead. <laughs> That's not what he did. Lazarus came out. To me to tell me a dead person can respond to the command of Christ. And then you take lessons from Judas White and Jeff Dirtbin. It shows in this kind of sequential format and <laughs> Do you really believe that it parallels the method of exegesis that we utilize to demonstrate those other things? Um, no. Some new Calvinists, even pastors, very openly smoke pipes and cigars just as they drink beer and wine. Even Jesus cannot override your unbelief. You quoted a verse like that to him. You know what it would sound like if you were listening to it? He wouldn't make any sense to him. A self-righteous, legalistic, deceived jerk. to realize that he's gone from predeterminism, now he's speaking of some kind of middle knowledge that God now has to... I deny and categorically deny middle knowledge. Don't uh, beg the question that would demand me to force you to embrace it. Not always talking about necessarily God choosing something for no apparent reason, but you're choosing that meat because it's a favorable meat. There's a reason to have the choice of that meat. And now, from our underground bunker deep beneath the faculty cafeteria in New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, safe from all those moderate Calvinists, Dave Hunt fans, and those who have read and reread George Bryson's book, we are Radio Free Geneva, broadcasting the truth about God's freedom to save for His own eternal glory. Uh, I'm still honestly... (laughs) It it still takes me time to get past the Steve Tassie thing. It really does. Uh... Sorry. It's just Hey, just so you know, um Tim Bushong is mo- working on a video version of the opening. So instead of just the the splash screen, you know, uh this thing, um we will have um video. And so he's tracking down the video from these clips and he's recording music. Uh, I guess they record all the music stuff already, and um, I do let you. Ne- I need to let you know. I hate moving. I really hate moving. We moved into the house we're in right now in 1998, 
And I told my wife then, we're going to bury me in the backyard because I hate moving. But we're moving the bunker. Um, the, uh, the lease is up under the New Orleans um, cafeteria. And we've, we've found a new location. And um, I, think, I think you're going to enjoy, enjoy the new location. For those of you wondering, welcome to Radio Free Geneva. Radio Free Geneva is a feature of the dividing line that uh, we began many, 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 many years ago. Um, you know, I, I do need to, before we get into it, um, I, I encountered a young man um, in the Kansas City area uh, this uh, just a couple days ago. And, you know, I, again, when I get to go out and do this, uh, you meet with people and you you hear from folks. Uh, by the way, I'm in an RV park, so if you hear the dog dog barking outside, uh, that's uh, that's why. At least a few other people showed up. When I showed up here today, there was nobody here, so I was sort of feeling a little um, uh, the Walking Dead type <laughs> vibes going on out here. But anyway, um, uh, you, you get to talk to people, and and again, let me just say very quickly, thanks so much to the folks in Amarillo. Um, St. Charles, and then Sedalia, and then uh, the two churches in the Kansas City area, both of which were actually not in Kansas, weren't in Missouri, I don't believe. Anyway, um, had a wonderful time with all of them. They were very welcoming, uh, very friendly. Got to talk to a bunch of folks. Um, it's always encouraging. One fellow was talking about how lonely he had felt until he found the dividing line that helped him find like-minded churches, things like that. Had a young man come up to me on Saturday, I believe it was, and he just looked so excited. And he shakes my hand and he said, I was baptized six days ago. And you and Jeff were important in having that happen. And I just, I don't even know what to say in situations like that other than, um, you know, I've never met the man before. So what, what a day to live in where you can have that kind of, uh, of influence. It's, um, it's exciting. Uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's awesome. It's great. And, uh, I'm very, very thankful to have those opportunities. So we're on our way home. Uh, prayers appreciated. Uh, today was, uh, seven hours, a little over seven hour. Uh, yeah, uh, to, to, uh, maybe eight, Today? I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back through. But um, anyway, uh, uneventful. I didn't get really tired at any point in time. And um, if I can get through the diesel lines uh, with the big trucks without having to wait in line, it's a good trip. And I did that twice today, just straight into an open bay and you're out the other side so fast. Those diesel pumps will, <laughs> will fill you up really quick. Anyway, uh, got to listen to a bunch of stuff today and had some time. Uh, to listen, re-listen to a video that we're going to be uh, summarizing and responding to on Radio Free Geneva today. On the way home, and um, we'll be preaching, uh, Lord willing, next uh, Lord's Day at Apologia. And um, I think I know what I'm going to be doing, but I'm I got to check to see if I've ever done it before. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the rough part there. Um, there's a certain uh, collocation of texts I like to go over that's exciting uh, in regards to the Advent season and, and Christmas and stuff like that. 
and uh, so we'll we'll see. But that's this uh, coming Sunday, which will be my birthday, by the way. Uh, so I'll be preaching on my birthday. What else? What 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 more would you like to do on your birthday than to get to uh, preach the word of God to wonderful people uh, in a church that loves Christmas? So it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be great. And maybe I'll wear a kuji while uh, while preaching on Sunday. It's uh, why not? Um, it's apologia. We do things our own way. All right. So uh, months ago, I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, I was sent a link to a video and I started to look at it and I was sort of like, um, yeah, okay. And then this guy started showing up on, on Twitter. And, um, so I, I downloaded it and I listened to it on the trip out. And then today I listened to it again and then voice recorded some notes uh, so that we can make it worthwhile. Uh, the, um, the fellow who's doing this ha is, has John 17 Apologetics Ministry, I guess is what it's called. Uh, and uh, his name, I guess, is Nick Craig. Uh, there's a screenshot from the video that um, we're going to be looking at from Ephesians 1. Um, Nick Craig is his name. I, I thought he might be uh, some guy on uh, Twitter. Uh, so I asked the guy on Twitter. He said, no, that's not me. We'll be looking at some of his stuff. He has a thing called... Because Nick Craig does have a Twitter thing. But um, it, it's a couple times it almost seemed like the Calvinism is a lie guy said stuff that sounded like he was claiming that what he was posting was his own. So maybe I just... May have just misunderstood him, but uh, anyway, that's why I asked the question. So Nick Craig will pop into some of my threads and say things like, yeah, well, you don't know what election means because you haven't responded to what I said, blah, 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 blah. And so he's posted a, a, a few videos, not many. Um, it's not like Leighton Flowers where, you know, you've got, you know, Google has had to build three or four server farms just to keep up with um, all the stuff that Leighton puts up saying the same things over and over again. And um, so, but but he'll pop in once in a while. And so I thought, all right, well, we'll listen to it. Thankfully, it wasn't three and a half hours long. Give him credit on that one. Um, it does start off with, everybody wants to try to make themselves look really fancy by throwing in stuff from... Uh, uh, you know, movies and, and things like that and, you know, having a little fun. Okay, fine. I, I don't really get into all that stuff. We've got too much stuff to cover. So, anyway, um, in essence, the argument we're going to be looking at, and then I'm going to look at some other stuff. I, I, I want to look at the Calvinism is a lie guy on Twitter. Uh, make a few comments on the Acts 1348 stuff. We've covered a lot of that before. There's... Uh, um, whole section of discussion of that, if I recall correctly. I know I covered it in The Potter's Freedom, but uh, I'm pretty sure I also covered it with Dave Hunt many, many, many moons ago uh, on that subject too. But uh, the the essence of the video, and of course I can't, I can't do video editing and indexing and stuff like that at 65 to 70 miles per hour, 18,000 pounds, 51 feet long, um, playing tag with uh, trucks or 
Today, I was just trying to stay in the draft of trucks to get the best gas mileage I could. Um, uh, it's just such a long day in the saddle. Anyway, uh, here's the here's the essence of of the uh, of the argument that um, uh, Nick is um, presenting to us. First of all, he begins. <laughs> he he literally claims at the beginning of his comments uh, that he has not found anyone that goes into the depths on Ephesians that he's going to go into. Uh, he hasn't found anyone in the past 180 years. And he says no one has gone as in-depth as he's about to go in covering Ephesians um, since the invention of the Internet. What... What do you how how do you even respond to that? I um okay. <laughs> Just, I, I don't get the feeling that 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 our our dear brother um for example is um is Greek literate. Um and so uh you know maybe what he what he means is no one on the internet has done something like this since it was invented or something. I, I, I don't know, but obviously his commentary isn't, can't go nearly as deep as the vast majority of critical commentaries and things like that. Cause he's just not aware of what the issues are. Um, but he does, he, he starts off. You can listen to it yourself. I will link to it when I uh, blog this, um, after we get done. Uh, he, he claims he has used this argument with Calvinists for years and they cannot overcome it. So this is, this is, you know, without this, there must not be anything else. He does put up some other videos where he sort of piggybacks on this that I haven't even bothered to listen to because this is woefully deficient, uh, exegetically speaking. So if that's what it's all based on, then why even waste the time with what comes afterwards, basically? Um, here's the thesis. It's not the standard uh, class uh, interpretation of Ephesians 1 where you have a class of people, an impersonal group of people. He says, I'm right about that. Uh, his argument is that Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, is only about the apostles. It's only about the apostles. It's not about the Ephesians. They come in. Uh, down in, you know, 13, 14, down that, that area. Um, but all the stuff about um, eternity past and predestination and, and all of this is only about the apostles. And then he spends the vast majority of his time uh, demonstrating um, that in some of Paul's epistles, he, for example, talks about the apostles as a group or the apostolic band or the individuals ministering with him who weren't all apostles, by the way. I mean, you know, you have Demas uh, and the sad story that that is. And and so there were people that were uh, associated with Paul that were not apostles. And so there isn't anything that I heard in this first video anyways, um, where he seriously defines what apostle means, uh, how apostle was determined, uh, when was the last apostle? Um, would, would this include Peter and people that aren't with him while he's writing? But does it include Luke? Uh, does it include 
uh, Timothy? Is Timothy an apostle? Um, is if it's the apostolic band, then if this is if, if Ephesians one two through or three through twelve is only about the apostles, what about Timothy? What about Demas? Um, Epaphras, um, other people that Paul mentions as a part of his apostolic group, but are they apostles? Uh, there is some discussion of how you even define that term as it's used, for example, in Acts, um, or does Paul use it in more than one way, depending on what he's addressing? So those are some of the issues. Um, and so it, it's it's pretty easy uh, to go into places, uh, the Corinthian correspondence, Paul's having to deal with the super apostles. He's having to defend his apostolic authority. Certainly in Galatians, same type of situation. Uh, and then in other epistles, he's writing to the Philippians or the Thessalonians, and um, he's commending their faith, and so he'll make a, a distinction. And so he spends a lot of time uh, proving something that isn't really relevant, because if the, if the issue uh, in... Ephesians 1 is that the only ones who are predestined are the apostles, um, then what we should see in Ephesians 1, 3 through 12, is the apostolic ministry and what makes the apostolic ministry unique, different from what anyone else would have. So the, the things that are said in that section should be unique to the apostles. Um, that would demonstrate his point. But the reality is uh, that that's, that's not things. And then uh, I, should, uh, I should say he makes a huge deal out of we who were the first to believe in Christ. And he spends time going about, well, it's to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles and the Ephesians are way down the road and they couldn't have been included in all this stuff. And, and he goes on and on and on and on. And... Uh, seemingly feels that that's the sort of the the ace in the hole that demonstrates yes this first section only about evidently the jewish apostles and even though paul comes later he's one of the 12 and so we'll include him in there and and he sort of he does deal with that as well he sort of he recognizes that's uh, very clearly there were um believers in christ who were not apostles, who were believers before Paul was. So this whole chronological thing, uh, we'll look at it when we get to verse 12, and, and I will suggest a little more obvious meaning to it when we, when we get there. Um, but the, So the whole thing is, all this election stuff, later on, I'm sure, because he mentioned it somewhere else, uh, you know, it's election unto service, and these are all partial truths. Um, God does elect it. What, is, what does Ephesians 2 say? Um, that, that foreordination of God is unto good works, which includes service. And so, sure, election is unto service, but that doesn't mean that it's not unto the other things that it said, inheritance, adoption, all the things associated with salvation itself. Um, and so there's the, there's the thesis in a, in, a, in a nutshell. And so let's... 
Uh, and I did try to, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I was successful here. Uh, I tried to fix our little window uh, with uh, a little help from uh, my friend uh, Rich. And so let's, uh, let's see what, what we can do here. There's that. And a <laughs> little bigger, a little easier to see. Um, now realize I have to look down here to see it. And so if I'm scrolling and some of it ends up on the wrong side there, uh, please, uh, please forgive me as far as covering over the Greek. Um, and I'm a little scared to touch the button to move it around. So I'm, it's not broke at the moment. I'm not going to fix it. So let's just, uh, let's just go with it where it is there. Uh, so Ephesians chapter one is uh, where we're going to be going. And so let's let's just think about, let's walk through the text and let's take uh, the, um, the thesis as it has been offered and let's see how it works, okay? Um, this is a gentleman who, by the way, is, um, I, in my opinion, is not balanced in his criticism of uh, Calvinism. And in fact, sort of what we're doing on the program today, by looking at this and then looking at some of the um, uh, responses that were given to Brother Ron on Twitter when he wrote a fine thread going through the Acts 13.48, middle passive issues. Uh, he went through Dan Wallace, who lays out criteria for how you determine whether something's to be taken as a middle and a passive, and, and none of which... Uh, uh, works for Acts 1348. Uh, some of the responses. There are sadly lots and lots of people on Twitter who are marked by what they're against more than what they're for. Some people say, well, you're an apologist. That's all you do. Except fair-minded people, even on the other side, will admit um, that I'm much more clearly for what I'm for than against what I'm against. I will be very clear in being against what I'm against when it's against what I'm for. But I give a positive presentation of an Orthodox, Trinitarian, Reformed understanding of salvation and the inspiration of Scripture and resurrection and uh, so on and so forth. And I'm much more focused on that. There are people on the Internet, sadly, whose lives are marked by their detestation of Reformed theology. The Calvinism is a lie, guys. Uh, there's just no balance. It, it, there can't be joy in that. There can't be, there can't be fulfillment in that. Um, I feel, I really feel sorry for people like that. And um, our friend here is not overly balanced in his um, analysis, and and I think that's what leads to this kind of interpretation. So let, let's keep in mind, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are at Ephesus, um, and there are some early manuscripts, by the way, I'm not going to expand on this too much, that omit at Ephesus. And I think that's re reflective of the fact that, and this is one of the things that our friend misses here, uh, that Nick misses. Um, Ephesians, is, you know, Paul spent years at Ephesus, and yet there's nothing personal in Ephesians. 
I firmly believe that Ephesians is the letter referred to in Colossians 4.16 coming from Laodicea. It was a circular letter. And that's why it doesn't have the specific personal address to the many, 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 many people that he could have named there at Ephesus. You can tell from Acts 20 how deep his relationship was with that, that particular church. But that impacts the nature of... Um, the address and the audience in Ephesians is that this is meant to be uh, circulated around the churches. Um, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would just ask, I mean, that's standard introduction. But when it says uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father, is it our Father as in the Apostles' Father? Or is it our Father as in all of our Father? Or is it all of us who are saints? Is God the Father of all who are saints? That's what I would say. If you're in Christ, then you have God as your Father. Uh, but there's no distinction there, right? It, it, is God Father of the apostles in a way that he is not of everyone else? Or in a special way? Or in a predestined way? Um, I wonder if this has been thought through. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if 3 through 12 is only about the apostles, so evidently they have a special relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ that the Ephesians don't have. Right? I mean, it's, it's supposed to have a distinction here, right? But it's our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So, if you're going to say, oh, no, no, it's, it's all of our, all of us are included in our Lord Jesus Christ, but who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven places in Christ, yeah, that's just the apostles. That's just the apostles. That's the, the, the perspective uh, that would have to be presented here uh, because this is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So... What are the heavenly, what, what are the, what are the, what's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place? And remember, Ephesians 2 is going to say, we are seated in the heavenly places, in Christ. And that's everybody. Or at least I thought it was everybody, but maybe, maybe he would say it's, uh, that they're, they're more special, or they have a better place in heaven. I, I don't know. But um, the idea is, who has blessed the apostles with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose the apostles in him before the foundation of the world, that we, the apostles, would be holy and blameless before him. Now, I think in love should go with the next verse, but that's not something to argue about here. Uh, but so you hear what's being said. So, the, uh, so God chose the apostles in Christ for the foundation of the world. So let's just stop for a second. What is actually accomplished in taking this perspective when in reality, what you're fundamentally saying is, yes, Calvinism is true, um, but it's only true for the apostles. So the apostles didn't have free will? How did... How did 
God choose the apostles, um, but not the Ephesians. Because that's what's being said. The predestination, all this stuff, it's about the apostles. It's not about a regular believer in Christ, such as the people at Ephesus would be. And so this creates a, a two-class system. So evidently, you can, you're free to get into Christ by your free will choice, but the apostles weren't? Did, did the apostles have free will? Ask Paul about that. <laughs> it's, as he's laying blinded on the ground, talk to him about his free will. Um, but but so, so the apostles are, are denied free will? And how did the apostles come into existence? Because remember, soteriology, it, your, your soteriology, your doctrine of salvation, is going to be dependent upon uh, previous commitments, whether you recognize that or not. Most evangelicals, I will confess, um, don't get that part. Um, they, 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 don't, they don't see that part. And um, what, what I mean by that is most evangelicals have a doctrine of salvation over here, and then you've got their doctrine of God over here, and they never bring them close enough to see if they're actually connected to one another. And so when you, when we, if we're going to say that God predestined certain people to an office of service, in this case, spirit, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and here um, to be holy and blameless before him. So holy and blameless, that, that's soteriology. That, that includes atonement, that includes removal of sin, uh, there, there's going to be adoption as, as, as sons, verse 5. Um, this is all of soteriology. This is, this is what it means to be saved. And so that doctrine of salvation has to have a foundation to lay on in regards to theology proper. Does your God have an eternal decree? Is, does your God have perfect knowledge of future events? If God can predestine certain people, then you, you need to realize each one of us is the result of literally millions of quote-unquote free will creaturely choices that came before us. Um, all of our ancestors might have made decisions. All of our answers, ancestors may have done things um, that would have changed who we are. So it, you can't just simply say God predestines such and such a person to do such and such a thing at such and such a time, but then say, but everything else beforehand was just a free-for-all. It was just all, you know, God let everybody do whatever anybody wanted to do. No, if he's going to bring you into existence, then everything that came before you has to be ordered just as just as much as your existence is. And so if, you, if you're going to say... Um, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There is, there is a huge theology behind that. It's Paul's theology. It's Romans 8 and 9 theology. It's Ephesians 1 theology. It's Isaiah theology. It's John theology. It's 
Reformed theology, it's God's decree theology, it's, it's, it's what, unfortunately, Nick detests, but he doesn't seem to realize that if he's going to say, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and you're going to say the us is specific people, okay, you're going to say it's not the elect, it's nobody today, it's just the apostles, you haven't gotten anywhere. You still have the same, you still have to have the same Reformed theology behind all that. You can't escape it. So, uh, and then that we would be holy and blameless before him. He provides that which is necessary to accomplish that. So, before the foundation of the world, before time, in Christ, so the role of Christ, his incarnation, his sacrificial death, the result of that sacrificial death, that's all certain. That requires a decree. That requires the meticulous sovereignty that brings about the existence of certain individuals at certain times. You can't escape it. So he chose us in him for the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And so everything that is necessary to make us holy and blameless is a part of that decree that results in this choice before the foundation of the world. And simply saying, but it's just for the, the, the disciples, just for the apostles, doesn't change anything. It's still the fact that the only way to be holy and blameless before him is made by God, unless you're going to say they are holy and blameless in a special way that we are not. And I don't, I don't, I don't see how you could avoid ending up with a, a bit of a a two-level uh, um, salvation system here. Uh, because if the apostles needed God's eternal choice to make them holy and blameless, we don't? I don't know. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Oops. I didn't keep the Greek scrolling, forgive me. Um, he predestined us. He, I'm sorry, i got to read it the way that um, Nick says to. Uh, by predestining the apostles to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he gracefully bestowed on the apostles in the beloved one. Okay. So, um, the apostles are chosen, the apostles in love uh, are predestined unto sonship. Now, have you noticed one thing that's totally missing here? None of this is specifically and only about the apostles. There's nothing here about apostleship. There's nothing that is defining apostles over against anyone else. And in fact, the reality is, if you just step back and go, Paul, is there anything you describe here about adoption of sons, receiving an inheritance, uh, forgiveness of sins? Is there anything here that is not the common experience of all who are in Christ Jesus? The answer is nope. Nope, there's not. So... 
what what is gained here? Absolutely, positively nothing. Because the predestination is to adoption as sons. So you have people who from time immemorial were predestined to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. That's what he's affirming. Now he's just simply saying it's a small group. Um, and evidently other people can be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, but evidently is that by their own free will? The apostles couldn't do that, but we can. So there's, there's two different groups that are adopted. Those that were eternally predestined and those that were not predestined. Uh, did the apostles need this because they were particularly stiff-necked or something like that? Or is this just a, a special blessing that no one else has? And so they're, they're the super Christians. They're, the, they're, they're better Christians than anyone else will ever be. And they're going to be closer to the throne of God or, or whatever because they were eternally predestined to adoption while the rest of us weren't. This is according to the good pleasure of his will. Um, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And, you know, the vast majority of Christians down through the ages have recognized that um, all of our salvation is to the praise of the glory of his grace. But this has to be limited just to the apostles. We, we, can't, we can't have that anymore because this is just about the apostles. Um, which he graciously bestowed on the apostles in the beloved. So the apostles are in Christ seemingly in a way that the rest of us are not. Um, even though the results are the same. Um, there's no distinction being made. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So the apostles have redemption in Christ through his blood. Now that's a true statement. But has anyone ever dreamed that what's actually being said here is in him, the apostles have redemption through his blood? In a way you don't. Because they were chosen to receive this, but you weren't chosen to receive this? What? Um, again, redemption through his blood is how the church is formed. And the point of Ephesians, by the way, in Orthodox interpretation, one of the primary elements of focus in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is the doing away of the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And so the, the unity of the body of Christ is emphasized. And the foundation really is, here in Ephesians 1, that anyone who has redemption through his blood, forgives our sins, has been chosen from eternity past, and that destroys all the self-made, man-made uh, distinctions that we might try to introduce into the body of Christ. So you can't have one of the clearest dangers that, that the apostle was very, very concerned about was a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church. That's self-evident in Romans. It's here as well. And so the destruction of that dividing wall uh, is yet to be mentioned in Ephesians, but the grounding is found in that all of us, stepping aside from this forced interpretation, 
in Christ, we, all believers, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our tra transgressions, according to the riches of his grace. And so we all stand on the same ground, Jew and Gentile. We all have the same imputed righteousness. We were all dead in our transgressions, transgressions and sins, but God made us alive together with him in Christ Jesus. That's the experience of everybody. Not just the apostles, but everybody. But that also then means that since adoption and all these things are the common reality of all believers, then it was all of us were predestined. And that predestination um, shows itself in time as God calls his people unto himself. So, um, in Christ, so these, these are all in Christ, and as soon as you try to then introduce distinctions as to how people are in Christ, um, you're, you're going directly against the apostle. Because that, that was, again, his whole point. Uh, he fought against the divisions that people are trying to introduce um, by, by pointing to the fact that we all stand on the exact same level ground. Jew or Gentile, that's what the beginning of Romans is all about. Ephesians is just wrapping it up faster and putting it back in eternity. And Paul does that in Romans 8 and 9. Um, but uh, we all stand on, on level ground. Our equality before God is due to the fact that we had nothing to do. We, it, it was not something we contributed. Um, we are totally the recipients of grace since this was given to us long before we took our, our first breath, even though God knew exactly what we we're going to be like. And again, there's a theology behind that that ref non-reformed people just don't want to even accept or even consider, but it's there. Um, so uh, he has um, forgiven our transgressions and uh, the level of that forgive forgiveness Katata plutas taste karatas autu. The the standard of that forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. Can never be exhausted. Um, that's how perfect uh, forgiveness is, which he caused to abound to us. To us the apostles? Well, that's what we're being told. Which he he caused to abound to the apostles. In all wisdom and insight. And this is exactly where he goes. Because he says, making known to the apostles the mystery of his will. Well, there you go. He made known to the apostles. And it, didn't he do that? And he did. But of course, he's done that to every single believer. Because to believe in Christ is to have at least some knowledge of what the will of God is. And where that uh, where that leads, I need to make sure that we. Uh, I'm am seeing everything. I'm not seeing anything coming from. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, if I when I I do have a second monitor I can set up when I have the time to do it, but when you're only at a place for one night, you don't necessarily want to put. I did, by the way. I, I should I should mention I did. I do have the other camera up tonight, so maybe once I get off of this thingy here, I'll I'll use it again. All right, back to the text. Sorry. Um, he did make known to the apostles the mystery of his will. 
but he makes known to all of us the mystery of his will. Uh, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for an administration of the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. There are many believers who will read that text and don't have any idea what it's talking about. And maybe he would say, see, but the, all the apostles did. Okay, even though even Peter says there are things in some of <laughs> Paul's letters that are difficult to understand. The reality is, uh, 1, 10, and 11 is an overarching statement of the theology of Reformed Christianity. Uh, this, is, this is sovereign decree. Um, this is a actively sovereign God. He sums up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him, an administration of the fullness of the times. The times are under his hand. They're under his control. He is administering them. He's summing all things up in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him, we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, if you translate it that way, we also have been made an inheritance, or or uh, or we have obtained an inheritance. Oh, I'm sorry, got it. Again, it's hard to see that stuff up there. Um, it's right here in front of me, so it's easier for me to look down here. I apologize for that. But um, in whom also uh, we have, and the LS, LSB says been made an inheritance. If it's made an inheritance, what does that remind you of? Maybe the promise of the Father to the Son, ask and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Um, if it's obtained an inheritance, then that would take us down to verse 14. Um, because inheritance is uh, used down here in verse um, 14 as well as in verse 11. So how exactly are they related together? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So if you're, even if you say, even if you say, well, this is just the apostles, you still have in these verses, starting at the end of 9 through 11, the entire Reformed theology of God. He is the... He is the one working all things according to the counsel of his will. And the only way that he can predestine even a small number of people, instead of a big number of people, instead of as many as the sand of the, sand of the sea and the stars of the sky, even if you want to limit to a small number of people and not gain anything by so doing, but if, even if you want to do that, it doesn't change anything. Because the theology that has to exist to bring them into existence and to to make certain they take their roles and they do the things they are to do in this decree of the one, the purpose of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will, he's still sovereign over all this stuff. And so if you're going to say, yeah, but everybody else, it's their free will or something like that, you're not accomplishing anything. You still have the decree as the necessary element of bringing all this about. But um, 
in him we also have made an inheritance, we have obtained an inheritance. We know that this inheritance language is common throughout Paul's letters in reference to what believers receive in the fullness of their salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit and their participation in the body of Christ. So, he works things, all, all things after, according to the counsel of his will. And then, here's his key, to the end that we, the apostles, who first have hope in Christ to be the praise of his glory, in him you also. See, there it is. There for him is the smoking gun. We, the apostles, believed first, and you then afterwards, uh, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given a pledge of our inheritance, under the redemption of God's own possession, the praise of his glory. Now, let's leave aside the fact that clearly, you look at verse 14, and that harkens back to what's before that, but this is now about the Ephesians, and it's God's own possession, the praise of his glory, that praise of the glory came earlier. It, it's not like there's this clean break. It actually is, is a unified text. Let's leave all that aside because it obviously shows that um, Nick's position isn't being drawn from Scripture. But for a moment, let the strongest part of the argument... So the idea is we who first have hoped in Christ. So this is supposed to be... Um, the, the, the idea is, well... Um, you can, you can draw a chronological line. And since the Ephesians are way down in like Acts chapter 18, well, actually, think about that. There were already believers there in some sense, uh, the, the people of John the Baptist. But the point is, there, were a, a, at least one, there was at least one apostle that comes later. Um, and so that has to be sort of a special case. And I'm not going to really... Um, even waste my time on that. There is a really more natural way of looking at this. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people miss this because we do tend to, uh, I don't know, we, we put ourselves into, a, into, into the same timeline as the apostles. Here's how I understand it. To the end that we who have first hoped in Christ that is, this first generation of Christians. The apostles, the Ephesians, this is still the, the very first generation of believers. The apostles are still alive. This is the apostolic age. So we are the first who have hoped in Christ. And what is that then communicating? We're not going to be the last. We are this foundation. We are the, we are the beginning. There's going to be a discussion of foundation of apostles and prophets and later in Ephesians, but we are we are at the start, and God isn't done yet. And you want the example of that? In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So it's ongoing. And that's going to happen with the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, and God's going to keep doing this. That's how he builds the church. So we, we tend to, to miss seeing... Uh, places that should be encouraging to us that despite the fact that the, the early church was going to be persecuted for hundreds of years, 
the worst persecution wasn't even going to hit until 303 AD, 10 years, 303 to 313, the worst persecution in, in the history of the church at that time. Um, this is all still yet future. And in the midst of all this, you still have the promise. God's building his church. And even though we're at the beginning, even though we are the first ones, this is the new message. We get it. We know. It was probably one of the accusations that was made against the, the early church. What is this new message? Well, it was at, at, uh, at Athens, remember? What's this new message? What's this, what's this new, new stuff going on here? And, of course, the, the Jewish opposition reflected in, in, uh, in Hebrews. You know, come back to the old ways. This new stuff, what is this? this it's just a cult. It's just, this, this Jesus guy isn't what he claims to be, so on and so forth. So we don't put ourselves in that context and listen to what these words would have understood. They would have understood. We, who are the first? This is, yeah, this is new. It's uh, it's only a few years old. Um, but we have hoped in Christ, and we are to the praise of his glory. Um, and look how it's how it's worked out amongst you. Uh, in him, so continuing the phrase, because the, the beauty is when you actually interpret Ephesians 1 and don't do this artificial limitation thing, and recognize that Paul's own theology precludes it. There, there isn't a special people that have been predestined um, to adoption, and then everybody else gets adoption, but they get it in a different way. That, that utterly bogus and absurd, which is maybe why nobody in 180 years had done anything like that, I suppose, because they go, oh, that doesn't work, and just moved on from there. But when you don't do that, what you see is the beginning of the development of certain themes that are going to be used throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians. And so in him, so in Christ, well, what was what was everything else before this? In him, in him, in Christ, in the beloved one. In him, you also, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. So notice the in him continues. So where did we receive the all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? In him. Where do we receive adoption? In him. Uh, where was that decree that we were going to be made sons of God made in eternity past? In him. In Christ. But now we transition into, that's all the eternal stuff. He's, he's summing everything up in Christ, but now we have to see how this happens in time. So now you're, you're, you're writing to the Ephesians. Okay. In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That becomes the true experience of everyone. Every believer in Jesus Christ. It's in him. You hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believe and you're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in him, Christ, Holy Spirit, God's in there too. You've got a Trinitarian thing going on. Who is given the Spirit... Uh, and by the way, there's a fascinating textual variant there for those of you, the geeks in the audience, Haas and Ha. Ha is the one that mat matches matches uh, with the neuter. Uh, Haas would emphasize the personality of the spirit, if, if that's the that, that's the reading. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance? Well, that inheritance goes back up to the apostles only, but now is it? Our inheritance that we receive, or that we are going to be the inheritance for Christ, 
and that we are made that way by the work of the Holy Spirit, unto the redemption of God's own possession. Who's God's own possession? Well, we are. That's sovereignty. That's election. That's predestination. Yeah, that's what just came before. And if you don't introduce some kind of wild-eyed distinction to try to get around this, then you see that because it the break the break is is only in this is an eternity. This is now how how eternity breaks into time. This is how we experience it. And so, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance on the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Back to verse 6. So verse 6, in eternity, it's all going to result in the praise of his glory. Now in time, the redemption of God's own possession, which are you, the elect of God, results in the praise of his glory. Same thing. Perfect consistency, as long as you don't try to, as long as you don't have Calvinist derangement syndrome, and you're just trying to get around uh, what's there. Um, and so then, he, you know, he talks about giving thanks. Um, and, by the way, um, Arthur W. Pink, Moody uh, Press, years ago, published a number of books from Pink, and one of them was Gleanings, was it Gleanings and the Godhead, or Gleanings and Paul? They're both great books. I'd recommend both of them. Um, but uh, one of those two... I think it's Gleanings and Paul, focused on the prayers of the Apostle. And man, Ephesians contains some of the, the real gold of, of that. Uh, so Paul's praying for them, and the prayer that he prays for them is that um, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom of revelation the full knowledge of him. Now, this is another one of the arguments he makes is, well, the Apostles already had that. Um, again, it, sometimes it's frustrating. Um, I desire that. I desire that for my children. I desire that for my grandchildren. I desire that for all the members of my church. And it's something that you continue expressing the desire for because it's never finished. It's not like, uh, it's not like, well, the apostles had all that. And so they just, you know, they just checked that box off. No, they continue to need the ministry of the Spirit of God amongst them just as among as anyone else. So when it says, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the full knowledge of him, that's ongoing. That That's what the Christian life is to be like. Are we to believe that the apostles were perfect in this life? Is that why Paul and Peter had that little disagreement in Antioch? Because they were both perfect? No, of course not. That's not what this is talking about. He's talking about the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of him. Well, I keep forgetting to do this. Forgive me. Um, epinosis. Um, full knowledge of him. And that's something you grow in. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you are a, If you're a true believer, you have knowledge. But you're to grow in that knowledge, and that knowledge is to grow. And there's a lot to grow in. I don't know about you. There's a lot to remember that I've already forgotten. Um, so that you, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling. So there, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. There's regeneration. But you will know what is the hope of his calling. And I'm going to guarantee you one thing. 
that should be something that's growing and deepening constantly. Um, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And you get to participate in that, having been predestined before eternity, so on and so forth. Um, let, let, let's just really quickly, I just want to point something out. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Were the apostles dead in their transgressions and sins too? Of course they were. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formally conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. This is all believers, including the apostles. Doing the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Is that the apostles? Is that the apostles? No, it's all of us. It's all of us. Even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive. Apostles, Jews, Gentiles, everybody. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You want to know what the spiritual blessings are? There they are. Who has them? All believers. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ, it's all in Christ, and all is Christ. And the point of Ephesians is not apostles, special super-Christians, everybody else, not predestined, less super-Christians. It's Jews and Gentiles, all in one body, all in Christ Jesus, one way of relationship to God, one way that brings glory to God. That's what Ephesians is about. Quit messing with it. Quit playing with it. How's that? There you go. Okay, um, so you say, so that's what you listen to while, um, <laughs> while driving? Does that help you to drive well? Um, no, not really, uh, honestly, but um, I, I managed to get here in one piece and didn't drive anybody off the road or go off the road myself in, uh, in the process of doing all that. So, uh, so there you go. Okay, um, See, I do have two cameras, <laughs> but this this camera this camera is the one for me to you know to look at you and 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 to, and to speak to you in a special way. I feel like Mister Rogers all of a sudden. <laughs> but I do need to do this once in a while because you know Rich put a lot of effort into this. You know um, to have the the uh, A and O logo back there, and then I I did see what I did with the thing here um i just didn't the mirror there's 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 too many mirrors in this rv <laughs> i've covered all but one <coughs> the one in the bathroom you sort of gotta have that be able to comb, comb comb the beard um but there are two big ones in the living space they're all covered not necessarily with a colored one like this but with a frosted one it really looks cool um but the main reason i covered that one is because actually it reflects the sink area in the kitchen <laughs> didn't really want that on the on the program, but yes. Yeah, so we do have the other camera to say uh, hello to you and and but see, I have to look over here to see what in the world's going on. So it, it's it's sort of it's sort of strange. So um, 
if I'm really wanting to make a point, I'll switch over to that one and say, you need to listen to what I'm saying. here. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> uh, did, have I already gone an hour? I have. Oh my goodness. I've gone an hour and five minutes. I don't even know how that happened. Everybody in the, everybody in the audience is going, we know. <laughs> you do it all the time. <laughs> I used to preach shorter sermons now, but but uh, so let, let me just let me just make a few comments. Um uh I do I am very thankful. Uh Ron Hensel uh put to, has put together some really neat lengthy Twitter threads recently. And um, I don't think he's driving across the United States right now speaking at various churches. So that gives you a little more time to do so. But he, he put together a really good thread where he talked about Acts 13.48. And for those of you who are not familiar with Acts 13.48, um, I, I think you could go back. Obviously, I cover it in The Potter's Freedom. And I give you various translations and discussion of the fact that the, the term tetagmenoi um, is a perfect passive participle, but it could also be a middle participle. Um, but the, the issue is, is it translated those who were appointed to eternal life believe or those who were disposed or appointed themselves or something along those lines, um, they, they believed. And it's, it's an old canard. It's an old argument um, that's been around for a long, long time. And uh, basically how you answer it is, is going to... Uh, which material you are going to preference has a lot to do with the biases you bring to it. But the reality is, um, I think you can make a very strong argument that a fair reader of Luke's um, general use of the Greek language is going to translate it ordained or uh, appointed. And of course, if you have any meaningful biblical anthropology, if you're not a full-blown Pelagian or a semi-Pelagian who's pretending you're not a semi-Pelagian uh, or you're not running around passing out books saying, Pelagius didn't believe any of that. Um, then you're going to realize that there is no such thing as someone who is predisposed or disposed toward eternal life. The disposition of the rebel is toward death. Um, wisdom says in Proverbs, uh, the one who does not love me loves death. And so you can, you can like, what a lot of people try to do is, well, prevenient grace will do this for you, blah, blah, blah. There is no such thing as prevenient grace. Okay, there's, there's effective grace, there's salvific grace, there's sustaining grace. There, there's lots of different kinds of grace, but there's no such thing as prevenient grace. Um. If you are disposed to eternal life, it's because God has changed your heart. The heart of stone cannot be disposed to eternal life. And so if you have an even semi-Pauline anthropology, then 
you know what's going on in Acts 13.48. The people that argue against it are the people who do not have a Pauline uh, anthropology. They do not have a Pauline doctrine of God. They do not believe that man is a rebel sinner. Um, they really do believe that, that man can be good in and of himself, and he has the capacity to do basically everything that the Bible says he doesn't have the capacity to do. Um, and so you're going to deal with Acts 13, 48 on that, on that basis. Obviously, it was not Luke's intention to provide a treatise on the doctrine of election in Acts 13, 48. So uh, the, the thread that Ron posted gives you very strong argumentation as to why the vast majority of translations um, done by committee anyways, render it in the same way and why you should take it that way. Um, but Acts 13, 48 is just, you know, it's sort of like referring to when Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. It wasn't Paul's intention at that point to explain what election is. But both Acts 13, 48 and Paul's reference there, um, things from writing to Timothy, um, indicate the ease with which Luke in Acts 13, Paul can use this language as a given. Yeah, those who are appointed to eternal life believe. That's, that's why they did, because they were appointed to eternal life. I endure all things for the sake of the elect. There's an elect people, and I don't know who they are, but I endure all things so that they will receive the glory of Christ. It's similar to why it is that the New Testament speaks of the Trinity in the way that it speaks of the Trinity. You know, just Paul can easily speak of um, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God in the same context, go back and forth. He's referring to one Spirit, but go back and forth like that because he's a Trinitarian. And the apostles understand the sovereignty of God, so it just comes out, it leaks. Once in a while, just, just say something. And those that cling to their own autonomy and and will not bow the knee to the sovereignty of grace just rebel at that kind of thing and uh, and that's what that's what you run into in a, in a text like that and then just really quickly just as far as Calvinist derangement syndrome you have this uh, anon account uh, Bible underscore times underscore DC uh, Calvinism is a lie I just feel I, I I feel pity for these folks. I really do. Um, you know, even in this in this thread, he'll talk about they're always saying we don't understand, and that's because you don't. Um, when you burn straw men, when you make things up, when you refuse to listen to clear distinctions that are made, um, there was there was one. Let me let me just mention one here that I ran into. Yeah, here we go. Uh, this is from December 6th, so five days ago. Calvin was just 27 when he wrote his Institutes. He killed his opponents, full stop. What? You, you, mean, you mean Servetus that was convicted by the Inquisition? Servetus that Calvin risked his life to witness to right after his conversion? You mean that guy? Who else are you talking about? I do get upset when these people just engage in outright either either they're just liars they don't even they don't care about truth 
or they're so ignorant of history that they'll repeat the same idiocy that the Catholics threw at Calvin back then uh, as, if, as if it was true. Um, whatever it is, it, it drives me nuts because especially in the Servetus situation, not only did Calvin risk his life to try to reach Servetus early on, but for years he kept his identity a secret until he was convinced by friends that by doing so could truly damage the cause of Christ because the Inquisition was going to burn him. So these people don't read history. They don't care about history. They don't care about being accurate. They don't care about being honest. It's just reprehensible. If you're going to attack Calvinism, get a brain and get some, get some integrity in the process. So, uh, and according to biographers, want to name them? He had a celibate marriage. Really, that's why his son died a few days after birth? Really? Moron. It was well known that he was just not interested in romantic love. Right, and y'all actually follow his teachings? And then there's a quote from some who knows what. See, this this is derangement. These, these people, some of us say, don't even respond to them. Look, I'm just exposing this stupidity, okay? The the, the lies, the the incoherence, the, the derangement that uh, um, this, this particular individual has and that so many other people have. And you ask the question, why? And... For some, I mean, they're, they're cultic. Um, for others, it is a visceral commitment to their own sovereignty and salvation. Don't tell me that I'm dependent totally on God. I'm the one that found God. And that means so much to them that to be challenged on that um, drives, people, drives people right over the edge. Um, and so... They're willing to repeat anything as long as it's quote-unquote against Calvinism. It, it can be just a wholesale lie, but they'll repeat it anyways. And it's, um, it's a sad thing to see, but they are out there. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, my German friend just sent me a, a picture of, uh, of the family. And no one is smiling. And he says, Germans don't smile. Smiling could be interpreted as weakness. Uh, my brother, I have seen you smile. And you have a beautiful smile. And I happen to know you have a big heart. And I know you smile all the time with your kids. So don't give me that. Um, no. I'm, I, I feel like saying something in German right now, but I won't. Anyway. So, um, right now, my guess is that uh, my hope right now, if I have Traveling Mercies, is to do an in-studio, as in, in Phoenix, plain old studio, swords in the back, P45 on the wall, warp core going... Um, dividing line, Lord willing, on Thursday. Um, 
Thursday or Friday, but probably Thursday. And uh, that's that's the goal right now. Uh, if I if I make it home in one uh, in one piece, anyways. So uh, we'll, Lord willing, be able to do that. Once again, sincere thanks to everyone who makes these kinds of trips uh, possible. To the churches I've had a chance to uh, to go to. Um, I will just mention, you know, the travel fund is um, really important to be able to continue to do this. Uh, we have found a way, by the way, uh, I should mention this. Uh, Rich found a, um, I have a, a, a fleet card now. And uh, it is a little bit easier for me. I now go through the truck lanes in certain locations. And um, you get an amazing discount. I have gotten as much as a dollar a gallon off uh, by going through those lanes. And I need to go through those lanes. They, they fill up my truck much faster. I need to get DEF, diesel exhaust fluid, and they have DEF pumps there. Uh, always makes a mess. But um, I've got, my engine is about 70% the size of the big rigs. I asked a guy and I did the calculations and uh, I've, I've got a big honking engine in my truck. <laughs> It runs on the same fuel, has the same needs as uh, as the big boys do. And um, so we have found ways to do that. But I should mention just in passing, um, as soon as I get back, we're going to be putting the unit here in for uh, getting that roof finally done uh, under warranty. Uh, but I think I mentioned to you, I've been fighting with, I have no refrigerator. I have a, one of the little office fridges out in the outside part, but the fridge went down. And we need to find a way for me to be able to fix that on the road if, if it happened again. And that may be stuff that's outside of warranty to try to make it possible for me to maintain stuff. So point is, when you support us um, in the travel fund, that allows us not only to, to buy the discounted diesel fuel, uh, but also to, to make the repairs of things because this poor little house gets 20 earthquakes a day every time it's moving. And the amazing thing, you know what the amazing thing is? You know, the one thing that hasn't moved a bit is everything Rich put in here for the studio. Now, we don't leave the cameras up, obviously. Uh, the cameras, the lights, microphone, they all go into drawers with the big padding stuff in them and stuff like that. But Rich had to put stuff up here, the, the big old... Uh, flat panel up here that has all the different screens on it that I'm looking at with the uh, switcher down here and stuff like that. Uh, all the stuff that the lights hang on and stuff like that. It's the, 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 the desk immovable. It's a rock. And Rich put all this stuff in here. So um, I had somebody tell me I need to be nicer to Rich again on this trip. I, people, you just don't understand. You, <laughs> you just don't get it. But I did have a couple of people gave me cards to give to Rich. And, you know, so I do feel for him. He doesn't have a Rich cam right now. He can't he can't get to, you know, do the comments and stuff like that. So he's probably looking forward to Thursday when uh, he'll have the Rich cam again. And maybe he'll need to make up for all the time he's missed. Uh, we'll be getting lots of comments or something like that. I don't know. But uh, anyways, thanks for listening to the program, folks. And uh, thanks for watching Radio Free Geneva. We will see you next time. God bless.